That's why I'm pressing wood towards the mark of Cause the calling on my life is worth fighting for. And I'll keep my mind stayed on you, Jesus. Because the peace it brings is worth fighting for. And I'll be I am Judah Bernard, the Wisdom Dialoguer of the Rise Creating Your Voice podcast. I'm just looking for everyone to come in and just really, really enjoy this happy hour right now because we have a special, special guest, Mr. Kawan Glover. Right now, I want to just understand and be able to, for him to relate to his story, but also just give a synopsis of who Kawan Glover is. On to you, Kawan. So, hey, everybody. I'm glad to be with you all live. I'm glad that Judah invited me on to share my story and talk a little bit more about who I am. Uh, it's really an honor and a pleasure. And as you can see, Judah's energy is infectious, so I have to keep up the same energy level. Um, I'm 26. I was born in Richmond, Virginia. I'm now in Upper, Marlboro, Upper Marlboro, Maryland. I studied finance in the University of Maryland. And I have a test that has turned into a testimony. Uh, when I was 20 years old, I had my first brain surgery uh, as a result of some mass on my brainstem that burst. Uh, it was a really life-altering experience because I'd always seen myself as an athlete. So I was boxing in college. I was running track, playing football. And when this all happened at 20 years old, you're often like, this is impossible. That this, this, there's nothing wrong with my brain. Just fix it so I can move on with my life. And as a result, I continued to push and push and push. And after my first brain surgery on October 15, August 15, 2014, I was back in school within a week, back to the college life, partying, drinking, all those things that you do in your youth, not being cognizant of my health, physically, mentally, spiritually, or emotionally. And a month after that surgery, I had a stroke and I was back in the hospital. And that's where the journey really began. And in that journey, if you don't mind just discussing the whole journey of strokes and having brain surgery. Can you just give them a small snippet of how that feels? A person at that particular time, I'm assuming that you were like 24 or 26 or somewhere in that range. Somebody that is full of life, full of energy, are at their prime in college, finance and accounting and i'm like how do we get to this point where brain surgery stroke so give them just a piece of how you felt during that time yeah so actually i was 20 when all this first started happening and at that age you're not really in, in the mature mindset, you're not able to comprehend what's actually happening. So when the doctor said, hey, you got something in your brain, I'm like, okay, fix it. Like, get it out. I don't know what you're telling me about it. Just fix it. And they were like, no, we're going to monitor and then send you back home and wait until things get worse. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. 
So they, you know, I came back when I started losing my vision and getting dizzy and I had this, you know, the surgery. And at the time after the surgery, it still wasn't clicking for me. I was still in the mindset of, I'm going to push, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to do what I want to do regardless of my health. So the hubris, the arrogance of youth, when I'm not able to see the full picture. Right. And then a month later, as I'm doing these things, and I, it was one day where I had a headache for 13 hours. I, it was debilitating in class. I couldn't focus. I could barely talk. And the pain was so powerful that I actually got up. I threw up water. I mm. lost some of my vision. When I got back into the bed, my right arm and my right leg just stopped working. Oh, wow. And I was alone in my apartment and I'm just like, what is actually happening? Like I was just competing athletically. I was just moving about as my own man. Now half of my body does not work. So for me, that was debilitating. You know, at that age, when you're at, the, like you said, the prime of your life yeah. and half of you is seemingly taken away from you, is stripped from you, is removed from your use. It was almost like I fell into a depression immediately after that because there is nothing you feel like you can do. You lose hope. It, the world becomes gray and devoid of color. And it, it showed through my actions, the way I, you know, I talk to people and the way I related to people. Um, it was just really, really, really defeating. Um, but in that process, you know, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And one of the first realizations I had was. I gained a lot of perspective. One of the things we did at the end of rehab this is towards the middle of October. We have an outing and as a group, a lot of the stroke patients, we go out as a group to see how you can function in the real world. And, um, you know, one of the tasks we're assigned is handling money. Mm -hmm. And we were in line at a shop. There's a guy in my, my group, that's a woman that just in the town and that's me. And he was having trouble handling the money. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about it because I seen him around, so I knew his, you know, his story. And the lady in front of me was just like, and, it, and I was like, "Are are you frustrated of him because he's having difficulty? Do you know his story? Do you know what he's been through? Like, how can you be this way?" And that night, it was like it clicked. I wonder if I had carried that same frustration, that same agitation with somebody I deemed as an other or just somebody was disabled and had I not taken the moment to sit back and say, hmm, I wonder what they've been through. I wonder what this story is. I wonder, is that the way I treat other people? And that was where the journey of transformation really, really began. That first aha moment. And that was all in 2014. Okay. And that happened in 2014. And I understand that it was a, as you say, it was a transformation moment. To be transformed, that means something, something totally changed. And what I'm hearing that change happened after the stroke, after the surgeries, now transformed. Now we're here in 2020. Who have you transformed into? Yeah, like after, you know, following that stroke, Stroke. I had two more brain surgeries, one in 2015, one in 2017. And, you know, I dealt with depression and anxiety. I dealt with hopelessness. I dealt with the opioid addiction. I dealt with things like that. But now when I look at myself today, 
I was sitting today, and um, it's funny because on August 22nd, I journal a lot. And that was the first time I was able to write in my journal that I feel whole. Mm-hmm. And today, when I was sitting down, I was thinking, you know, I do a lot of things a lot of time for myself. And uh, I was thinking, like, you know, I'm starting to realize I'm becoming, I'm entering manhood. You know, mm. I, I had been a boy, I had been an adolescent, I had been developing, and I hadn't really taken the time to think about what that actually meant. And, you know, I think it comes with a form of acceptance. And I think the biggest part of my journey, my biggest part of my transformation is embracing vulnerability and accepting what has happened and loving gratitude, understanding that the things you have far outweigh the things you want and don't have. And gratitude is the basis for everything I do. When I get up in the morning, Judah, and my feet touch the ground, everything that happens after that moment Wow. It's a bonus. That is the, this whole ordeal, this whole six years I've been dealing with all this has been the best gift I have ever been given. And I just, it's, it's mind-blowing that I'm talking like this now. <laughs> when I was going through it all, I couldn't even form a thought. I was just always frustrated, always angry. I was bottling things up. And now talking to you so freely and talking to the rest of your audience, a lot of times you will find yourself in those dark situations. A lot of times you will isolate yourself and feel alone and no one else understands. But I understand. There are people out there that understand, that are willing to listen to you, that are willing to help you through. And sometimes you have to talk to the person in the mirror. That's oftentimes the person that's creating the biggest barrier, creating those self-defeating narratives, those self-limiting beliefs. And I talk to that person every day. You are enough. You are beautiful. You attract money. You attract wealth. You set the standard for your day and embrace your purpose. And I just feel so powerful. I like talking to you right now. I feel like I absorb some of your energy. I'm getting high. <laughs> so I was somewhere down, but I just feel really like I've embraced my purpose. Yeah. I really feel like that. And 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 I understand what you're saying because the thing is. A lot of us does, do not take the time out to look at the man in the mirror. And what does that look like for you? And like you stated, that man in the mirror was you. And that man in the mirror was you looking at yourself as you were defeating your own self. But you took the time out to give affirmation and said, you're beautiful. You're going to live through your purpose. You're going to do what you necessarily need to do to get you to where you need to be. So I am thankful that you told those people out on this live right now, start with the man in the mirror. And what the the Rise Creating Your Voice is about, it's about self-development. Look at that person in the mirror. I always say in many of my episodes is mask off. Take that mask off. Stop pretending like you're somebody else. Stop pretending like you're you're a Sue Sally across the street and the Joneses that got a million dollars. You're not those people. Be who you are in your present moment. So who are who is Kawan right now? Kawan Glover in that present moment, in this present moment right now. I know Kawan Glover has been an author. He has a book called Favor. Can we get a couple of snippets of what your book is about? That is available on Amazon. Yeah, so um, this book, I think it'll change a lot of lives. 
And it's simply because it, I came upon this realization actually maybe last week. And uh, I was talking to a guy and he said, yeah, when I think about the word favor, I think about somebody asking me a favor. And I was like, huh, I never thought of it like that. He was like, yeah, it's the basis of the word. And what I realized is that God has been asking me to do a favor my whole life. Mm. And every time I veered off that path, it was like, hey, bro, I, I told you I needed to do this. Right. Every time I veered off that path, like I told you I needed to do this. So everything I did outside of that trajectory, that path that was right. paid for me, mm. he continued to take those things away. So I saw myself as the athlete. I thought I was going to use my body to be this bigger person than I needed to be. And, you know, before I tracked me, he pulled my hamstring. He blew my knee in football. He took away the boxing and pulls on academics and everything that has happened has led me to this moment so this book covers the surgeries the depression suicide ideas and the everything that led up to you know part of my story of where i am now and one of the biggest things it touches on is the medical debt that happened as a result the surgeries the depression everything is as a result of everything, the, the the medical debt that I had to face, the $1.2 million. And, uh, you know, I touched on it in the book, but I think I'll dive into it a little more deeply with you guys, if that's okay with you, Jim. Yes, it's, it's quite all right. And, and if you could just stop right quick. He became $1.2 million in debt with his strokes and his three brain surgeries. $1.2 million in debt. Go ahead, Kawan. You can tell the story because to me, it feels like somebody who was a living and walking testimony at this time, that should not have happened. Go ahead and tell the story. Yeah, so when I, you know, the first two surgeries, I was on my dad's insurance and he handled most of the financials. So I never looked at a bill. I never looked at an insurance claim. I never looked at any of the financials. And I remember when we were going for this, the third surgery, we needed a new doctor. So we went up and visit, visited my doctor, uh, Dr. James K. Lou up at Rutgers. And after the appointment, to schedule the appointment, we went and talked to the financial desk. And I remember my dad leaving that place being frustrated because they did not take my insurance. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the gripes I have with the American medical system. Like, you know, we certain doctors are under certain insurance plans. That's top for another day. I went to see other doctor and another doctor told me, if you don't get anything done in three to six months, you're gonna die. Oh, wow. And in my head, I'm like, okay, so you're gonna do the surgery? He was like, no, I'm gonna send you radiology. And I'm like, so what's the point of this? So mm -hmm. I went through that, had different procedures. Um, but then it, it, when I, after everything was over, I went back to James Lou, had the procedure, had 10 hour surgery, success. It was a lot of mishaps in the hospital. Uh, different procedures, blood clots, infections, got through all that, got home. And I was like, okay, I'm good now. And mind you, I had never dealt with the financial piece of my surgeries. So then the, the letters started coming in in my name. And I'm like, what the hell is this? What is the EOB? And then I started doing the numbers. I, oh, wow. I pulled the, the financial data from the website and I just ran through Excel. I was like, oh, you know, we'll figure it out. And then I totaled it. And it was like 1.2 million. And immediately I thought, I just had my last brain surgery. Where am I supposed to get $1.2 million from? I don't understand how that even computes. Mm. 
Like I remember saying, the doctor saying he wanted 170 and he was well worth it. But then I started looking at the hospital bills that they charged me for pills and $500,000 for a hospital stay. I'm like $16,000 for an ICU stay a night. I'm oh, like, wow. wow. Like, I don't even know how to process that. Right. But it was through my grandma's steadfast faith. And her, you know, her quote inspired the name of this book, Favor Ain't Fair, It's Just Favor. And every day for like a week and a half, we were on the phone with insurance, questioning these claims, these calls, these expenses. Right. And lo and behold, because my first doctor, Dr. Johnson Sherman, GW, my last doctor, Dr. James K. Lou, and the doctor who told me I would die, met up at a medical conference. And because all those doctors had conferred, insurance ended up covering a major portion of the bill. So I call that favor, grace, mercy, whatever yes, you want to call yes, it. Yes. And uh, I didn't know how, like in my book, I literally write, some things just happen and I don't, I don't have an explanation. And, and that to me is favor. But sometimes I think about the people who aren't so fortunate oh. and that, that, that sticks at home. So in those people that are not fortunate, we want to understand that the number one thing is that you've gone through several tragic periods. Um, what is something that you can communicate to the listeners or give them signs on some of the signs or the symptoms that you had before you had the stroke? before you had the three brain surgeries, what were some of the signs and symptoms? Because I think everyone needs to know that strokes and brain surgery affect someone at 20 years old. So can you give some of the signs and symptoms? Yeah, so when I was 20, I'd never been experienced a brain trauma. Stroke didn't run in my family. I wasn't aware that it was a possibility for me. Um, but the number one thing that caused everything to begin is the stress the pile on of stress mm. the i'm i was always in this mindset of being young and invincible and constantly doing and moving and trying to achieve and that you know put a lot of stress coupled with being a freshman in college entering a new territory a lot more people and then the physical signs started to manifest so the loss of balance the lack of coordination the double vision the the weightedness of the arm or the side that's affected the ability, when I first really started seeing really bad symptoms, I went from talking like this to talking like this. I couldn't get words out. I was barely able to write and the headaches were not normal headaches. And they, you know, you take Tylenol, et cetera, and whatever, they would, the pain would not stop. So some of those things, the drooping upside of your face, you know, you may, somebody else may notice it before you do, but right. you know, at, at that age, again, I was not thinking, I was not, it was not even possible. But for those out there that, you know, have, it runs in their family or those who may experience stroke, you have to pay attention to the signs because if I had gotten to the hospital earlier or I had done some preventative measures or if I had taken the decency to rest instead mm -hmm. of going back to school a week after surgery, I think that would have prevented a lot of the downfall. But again, I don't regret any of it. I think it has helped me become the man I'm becoming today. And it still teaches me every day. But pay attention to those signs because they often show up and people are just not aware of them. Right.
So he said that there were many signs and symptoms. So I'm hoping that the listeners are out here listening to those signs and symptoms and making sure that you evaluate yourself. And I think what we continue to say, especially on the Rise Creating Your Voice podcast, is definitely number one is start looking at the man in the mirror. You know everything that's going on with you. And like um, Kawan, if I can uh, just um, elaborate or repeat or, or, or quote what you just said was, you thought you were invincible. So in thinking he's invincible, he's young, this is not going to happen to me. It was a, a point that in his life, he saw that this is actually happening to me. So in his vulnerability or in, your, in his invincible stage, I'm sure that's how, or, or looking at the depression and the anxiety, because the thing is now reality has hit and you're now in the hospital, you're going through these surgeries and things like this. So what's some education that you can give our listeners to as well, as far as being a young African-American male who was um, appeared to be healthy. Now we're at stroke, we're at three brain surgeries, but on the flip, you're talking, you survived it. You've overcome what some people don't overcome. So tell us just some education about that. Yeah, so when it all started, again, like you said, reality clashed with my ideology. I was invincible. There was no way you could tell me that I was going to be in the state that I was in. So when that conflicts with who you are, your self-image shatters, and you have to begin the process of rebuilding. And one of the, the biggest things you're going to have to do is accept what is. When you begin to refute, when you begin to debate and think back into the past of who you were, your mind starts to, it starts to break because what you're seeing, what you're processing with your brain is not what you're thinking about. So those two things can exist in the same place. So you have to start to change your thinking about who you are. And, you know, when people say, you know, you identify with the disabled community. I have no problem with that, but I'm not disabled. I'm just able to do things differently. It's really a mindset shift that you have to start embracing. Yes. I just think that is the most important part. And then, you know, for after this, this third surgery, I didn't look in the mirror for years, but you're going to have to bring some power from deep within and face that man in the mirror because he's not going anywhere. You survive. So now it's like being a war veteran or being a fighter all your life. And then all of a sudden, when it's all over, when you're done with the surgery, when you're done with the, the rehab, when you're done fighting, mm-hmm. what now? And right. that was the biggest question that caused a lot of the biggest pause. And then I just, it was in January 2018, a couple of months after my diet surgery, and I just started talking. I started using my voice and getting it out there and seeing the reaction of people who have been through similar situations coming out the woodwork and understanding that I was not the only one on this journey. Yes. And when you start finding a community, it's, it's empowering. And they just constantly let me to speak my truth and share my voice and write this book. I think that was something God was like, hey, everything you try outside of writing this book, I'm going to stop until you write this book. So when I started my podcast, stop that. When I started in my business, stop that. Until I sat down and get it all on paper 
And a lot of times we don't realize we're holding on to trauma. So I was living in that apartment where I had the stroke. I was living in the apartment where my brain started malfunctioning. I was living in my trauma. And the minute I moved back home and started getting a new environment, new people around me, all those things start to lift away from me. Let go of that trauma. It does not serve you. The power is in you telling your story. And that is what my purpose is on this planet, to share my story, my testimony, how my challenge became my championship. And that's a good segue about your book, because I just want to read the back of it. And it says, keep going in quotations, push through in quotations, and ignore the pain. And in that, on the back of your book, it said, that was your motto. Can you give our listeners out here the motivation? What was the, the, the life experience and that motivation? Because you talked about living in your trauma. What was that motivation to keep living? What was that motivation to keep pushing? What was that motivation to push through? What's that motivation to ignore the pain? So definitely tell us, what was that motivation to keep doing all of those things I just read on the back of the book? When I, when, I, when I believed that truly, that's when I was still in high school and I was an athlete. So I was like, I got to keep doing everything no matter what I'm going through, no matter what, what's going on around me. I need to be that invincible person to shield myself from the pain and just keep pushing through everything. Keep persisting, keep pushing, keep going, no matter what's going on. And that mentality is the motto that led me to a clash with who I had become. And a lot of people my, in my age range don't understand the value of patience. Patience. The things that are meant for you will happen when they mean to happen, wow. not before, not later. And wow. that is, you know, I talk to my grandma and people that are older than me, they're just like, your generation expects everything to happen right now. Exactly. So fast. <laughs> and it, I just need it. I need it. I need it. And this whole ordeal has told me. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. The things that are meant for you will come and they may not come as soon as you expect them. They may come a little later. They may come before, but you just need to prepare yourself to be accepting of whatever is coming your way. Your purpose will reveal itself in the silence. You know, yes. a lot of the people that are big time now, like the Steve Jobs and the Walt Disney and people like that, the dreams, the things they have to think of, Denzel Washington, Tyler Perry's, those thoughts, those processes, those gifts that they have were not voices that were in their head. It was like, hey, you need to do this. Hey, you need to start acting. Hey, you need to start a studio. It was the whispers. I think you should do this. The whispers. I think you should do that. <laughs> Try this. Go ahead. I and it's it. those voices of intuition that I had to start listening to to really develop my purses. I mean, now they've gotten a little more authoritative because I know I'm on a mission to do something, but they started really low. Like, hey, I think you, should, you probably should do that. I think you should try this. You should probably start writing that book. And then they get louder and louder as you get closer to your purpose. And now I'm here talking to you and they exchange your energies and values. And I just feel... Like I'm in a totally different place. Oh, wow. And I want to definitely harp on the one, and it was the last one, because I want you to actually communicate, not only communicate, but educate people what you mean by ignore the pain and specifically tell them what the pain was. 
Yeah, and a lot of times people think a order pain means physically. You know, I did pull my hamstring the day before I tracked me, and I could I did take physical pain pretty good, but oftentimes people ignore the mental pain, the emotional mm. pain, the spiritual pain. Right. And those are important to your holistic well-being. You know, there have, may have been issues that arise in your life. There was issues that arrived in my life with different mm -hmm. relationships I had with familial, with, with my family, with my friends, that I would constantly push down and ignore and push it aside. And when you force something, when you shake up a soda can and keep it closed, that pressure builds. And at some point, it's going to burst. And it may not be where you want to burst it at. It, it just right. it will just do that. So constantly alleviating yourself with the trauma, expressing yourself, being vulnerable, practicing empathy, employing that into your life will allow you to alleviate the pain. And again, the pain is not only physical because physical pain you can feel and address directly. But a lot of times it will, emotional pain, mental pain, spiritual pain, they weigh tons. Physical mm -hmm. pain weighs ounces. They, those other three, they weigh a lot more and they weigh you down and they can't just be alleviated with a, a good talk or a feel. Like they take a lot of deep work and it's going to take a little bit of sacrifice, but you will get there and um, you'll become not only, you, you go from being a victim to a victor and that's how I feel right now. Wow, you use the words that I use so well about victim to victor because a lot of people sit in their victimization and they suck in it. And the more they suck in and the more they realize um, that they were victims, I think they become victimized. Then it comes to victimization. Then it's total victim and they're doomed at that particular time. But I want people to get out of it. And I know you talked about um, your addiction too as well and how you was addicted to Percocet. So let people know Percocet is a drug um, and it's an over-the-counter, not over-the-counter, but it's a medical prescription drug. And that he was trying to drown out depression and, and, and understand depression is a mental thing. So he was actually something that was prescribed for his pain. He was trying to drown it out with his depression. So tell us about that story. Yeah, so in 2015, October 1st, I had my second brain surgery. Um, I got to tell you this story. When I was in the surgery, before I, you know, I came with the surgery, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to wake up. I just want this to be over. In that dream, during the surgery, it was I, when I tell this story, I feel the same way every time. I, I'm up. It's in a room full of light. I don't know how else to describe it, a white room. And I'm in a hoodie, and I'm, I'm throwing punches. To the box, and I'm like, wow, everything is working. Everything, you know, I don't have a limp, I don't have any deficits, and I'm punching. And it starts to rain, and the rain is like black, and it's dripping down. But it's, I stick my hand out, it's not touching me. And then I'm like, okay. And then I start to float up. And as I'm floating up, I lose my human visage, and mm -hmm. I'm watching it happen from point of view, and I'm watching it like I'm watching a painted canvas. So as I'm floating up, and I get to the top of that canvas. There's a hand at the top that pushes me down and put everything in the reverse. And right oh, wow. before I woke up, you're not done yet. And then I woke up. And then I just didn't, at the time, it didn't register. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize that may have been one of my first spiritual encounters with 
the divine, the creator. I don't know how, you know, however you want to phrase it. Um, but it, when I, I just call him God. Yeah, <laughs> that, I feel like that was my first encounter directly. And um, in the hospital, they had given me a spinal tap mm. and that drains your brain fluid. And when it drained the fluid out of their brain, your brain normally floats in that fluid. So it doesn't ever touch your skull. But because it was draining that fluid, my brain was kind of knocking around in my head. So when you think about physical pain, they normally rated on a scale from one to 10. That type of pain was like a 37. And it, the pain resonated throughout my whole body. So one of the drugs they first described me was fentanyl. Mm. Fentanyl is like heroin on steroids. And every hour I would get dosed up, I get dosed up. And I became like fiendish. I was like, now, please give me, give me that, give me that. And um, it started crushing my chest cavity so I couldn't breathe. So they switched me to Percocet. And then I was, as I was leaving the hospital, they switched me to something called Fearset. Mm-hmm. I got a little addicted to that Fearset and I had withdrawals, but I eventually got over that. Uh, they withdraw less than maybe a day. And it was like your whole body had been hit by a truck. But then I got over that. One day I'm doing my work, my dorm finance, and I, I go to my desk and look for a pen and there's a prescription for Percocet. I was like, oh, I just go fail it just in case I need it. Right. And from that day forward, I began to abuse it and start to try to separate myself from the emotional, mental pain, the stress, the trauma that I was experiencing, not able to process. And when I, when I, you take a narcotic like Percocet and you're not in any real physical pain, right. it starts to alter your mind and mm-hmm. your emotion. And it, your emotions and mental state become very erratic and unpredictable. And um, it just really drove me deeper down. Like, it's like numbing yourself. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you're going to have to come back up and feel that it's right. not going anywhere. If you don't address something, it's just sitting away for you. Like, I'm still here. You're going to have to come talk to me soon. And, um, you know, that was the second time I contemplated suicide. Luckily, I had friends around me that came and, you know, right. helped me through it. And then, uh, yeah, I want to say that was in April, I kicked everything cold turkey. And that's when, um, you know, I fell into that depression, but I started addressing my issues. I started becoming cognizant. Things are things I had to be aware of if I was ever going to get better. And I started the journey. Um, to do a better mental state. And of course, after that, you know, I graduated, I had a job, I had the girl, whatever, and then I had the third brain surgery. But I'm here now because all of those experiences taught me, culminated in a lesson that, you know, I used to say, why me? This mm-hmm. is not fair. This happened to me. I didn't do anything. I don't deserve this. Right. And I started to ask myself, when you ask yourself bad questions, your brain has no choice to produce bad answers. So I started asking myself better questions. Why not me? Right. If not me, then who? Right. And then I thought about when I look at the back of this whole ordeal, it happened to me, but it's not for the benefit of me, it's for everyone else. And that's that that's great. So what we're looking at is a walking testimony that's been through trauma, not only trauma, but have been addicted and then addicted to um medical drugs that were prescribed to him while um, surviving through depression, anxiety, and many other mental health issues. And I'm just going to read an excerpt from your book on the back of it says, to discover my true purpose, I needed to let go of the guilt trapping me in this mindset. If I couldn't let go of the habits 
that led to this day, the third time will no longer be the charm. Let's talk about the guilt. Yeah, so I remember at the beginning of the talk, we talked about how after the first surgery, I went immediately back to school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my young mind, in the humorous of being young, wild and free, I didn't take into account that, hey, you just had brain surgery. Your brain, your body, your mind, your soul needs to heal. Yeah. Take some time off. And I didn't. And I immediately went back to college and immediately went back to that life and immediately went back to doing a lot, drinking, smoking, partying, all those things. And a lot of people don't realize this. There's a chapter in a book called The Bold Print. And in that chapter, it talks about the discharge papers I was given in the hospital. And when the lady was talking to me, I wasn't listening. I was like, hey, lady, I don't care what you're talking about. I just need to get out of here. Right. But on that paper, it says in bold print, do not consume alcohol. Oh, wow. And everything... I felt like because of my arrogance, because of my wanting to be who I was before everything happened, not being patient, not resting properly, everything that happened as a result, you know, my mom being upset and, you know, not showing what to do, my dad being upset, my family, friends, and loved one worry about me. I carried all that guilt, everything being my fault. I was the reason for everything all throughout my journey. And, you know, I didn't ultimately lift that guilt until I published that book. Mm -hmm. And it was trapping me. Like, I literally, like, it was, like, even when I felt better, it's still your fault. You did this. You're the reason for everything. And then one day in August, I want to say last year, I looked up and I was just like, I went in my bed in the dark. And I was just like, you know, there was nothing I could have done to prevent this. Mm -hmm. Everything that just happened has already happened. Right. So me feeling guilty about it does nothing. It does not heal me. It does not make the situation better. It does not provide a solution. It is keeping me in the past. And my life ahead of me is the only thing that's going to serve anybody else. So I need to move past this. And um, part of writing this book was alleviating that guilt and just realizing that this happened to me, but it is not me. It's a part of my story but it doesn't represent who I am and who I'm going to be. And I see, and I want people to see this. It says favor. How stroke, struggle, and surgery helped me find my life's purpose. So what I want to give to the listeners right now is do not wait until you have a stroke or brain surgery. You need to start looking at the man in the mirror, start creating yourself and actually trying to define and practice self-discipline. As I hear Kawan mentioning that arrogance played a lot of, a big part in this. Arrogance to say that I'm, I'm supernatural. I mean, this is something I'm going to bounce back. Sometimes you don't bounce back. Sometimes you don't come back or re, re, re up from where, where you been? So what do you do in that moment? So the time is now and I'm calling out to everyone who may be listening or somebody that might got some information out about this that we had number one, this young 20 year old 
who was very athletic, um, went straight from a stroke. From stroke, he was released from the hospital to three brain surgeries. All of this happening from a time span from 2000. And now he said he lived about six years with this, where depression, anxiety, addiction to Percocet, and other things that drew him to the point of, what am I doing? What's going on with me? I got to get me better. Mind you, this is a walking testimony right here in front of us who have survived, you know, I think trauma is an understatement, all the things that you've been through. I want to call it traumatic experiences because it was a lot. But in understanding that you give me inspiration and say, you know what, Judah, keep going. Because number one is, regardless of what I feel like sometimes, start looking at the man in the mirror. Start re realizing that you are great. Start realizing that you are more than a conqueror. He created you in his own image. This is the time now while we're still in the situation of what they call the pandemic. This is a time for you to reevaluate yourself and start evaluating and communicating with yourself to realize that where you need to be. In that, Mr. Kawan Glover has self-published Tell me if I'm wrong, self-published this book called Favor. Favor. Do anyone know what favor is? Favor is something that you wasn't supposed to get. <laughs> favor is something that you didn't, it wasn't meant for you. And it just so happened to land on you. That's favor. But then again, he said that he kept seeing where he was called by, in his definition, the higher power. But I have to continue to say, I know it's God because I know I was down at that point and he lifted me up. So I know God is able to do the, the, the necessary to the unnecessary. I know he's able to bring us far from where we thought we were. But then again, you have to have the desire. You have to have the desire. And tell us what was that desire, Kawan? Yeah, I didn't really know. I just was, my steps were guided. Like every time I would make a misstep, the path would re realign me to where I was supposed to be. But uh, now the desire is to use this story, this testimony, this journey to make sure others are on the right path. Okay. There are things in your life that you do easily. There are things in your life that come natural that you ignore or put off to the side, things that you are called to do that you're not even taking the time to realize that you're supposed to do. And often those are the things you are meant to do. That is your purpose on this earth. I want you guys, the listeners, to really look deep within yourself, look at the man in the mirror and just ask yourself, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? What am I here for? And when you can answer those questions, was the, the first one and you know me getting out of the physical space of my trauma me accepting what happened me starting to embrace my vulnerability was my first action step and now talking to people like judah and 
just spreading my message and writing this book is my second step. And now it's more clear and becomes more clear, more clear every time I open my eyes that this is what I was put here to do. My desire is to do that with the power of my voice. So a platform like this, using my creative voice to encourage, to empower, to inspire. Wow. That's my desire. That's my desire. And I, and I definitely thank you for that. We, and you know, just, just understanding that when we come to that point of that desire and things like that, we definitely have to surrender to God's will too as well. And what, what does surrender look like for you? And I think what I can discuss is um, we had Bible study last night and the, the topic of it was what's in your heart. It starts with the heart. And we, we capture so many things inside our heart that God can't dwell in an unclean heart. So how can we make our heart better? Although we went through the, 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 the brain, the, 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 the traumatic experiences, how can we clean our heart out so we can do and drive our purpose on top of making sure that we're walking in our calling and in our purpose? A lot of times, you you know, there are two voices you hear. And when you read the book, you'll see there are two opposing voices. And it's oftentimes put in cartoons, the angel and the devil on your shoulder. And you know which voice is telling you to do stuff that you shouldn't be doing. You know what voice is telling you to do right. You know what voices keep you on the straight and narrow. You have to develop a level of discernment. Mm. And when you start to decipher between the two, it's easier to surrender because your purpose becomes that much clearer. Yes. When you're constantly, oh, I'm not going to listen to that. You know, this sounds good. This feels good right now. A lot of people, they think for a moment. It's good to act and, you know, in the moment, be present. At the same time, make now might affect you 10 years down the road. You know, how I was living before in high school and even before then could have led up to, the stress and the stroke. Right. So understanding that there, the you, your intuition, your inner voice, God speaking to you allows you to know, hey, you should probably do this. You know what's right and wrong, and you know what will keep you on the straight and narrow path. And you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna trip up. You're gonna you're gonna fail. The journey, as long as you're failing forward, failing often, and failing in the right direction, you're gonna take yourself places. So. Developing that discernment to understand, hey, these are the things I need to continue doing in order to better myself. And understanding a momentary feeling does not equate to fulfillment in life. Just allowing yourself to really manifest and develop in your purpose. And, and Kawan, definitely, I don't want to be a miss because one thing I want you to tell the people where you are, where they can find you at, where they can find your story. Um, what, what are some um, um, social media sites that they can see you on so they'll know who Kawan Glover is? We need to know how we, how we can become more of a, of a, a what, what, I think you call yourself a victory uh, coach, a victory, victory coach. Victory coach. The thing is, victory yeah. coach. He, he he trains on victory. Who don't need victory? <laughs> I know I do. I love victory every day. <laughs> to be victory 
or have victory every day is something amazing. And you know, I, I look unto God for all that, but to have a victory coach on your side, that's sort of like a personal cheerleader for God. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I get excited when I see this. I be like, whoa, yeah. So I get real, real <laughs> excited. Because uh, when I saw that, I was like a victory coach. I was like, man, I'm just a motivational warrior. So is that kind of like the same? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you're interested in learning about, more about me and my story or my coaching or just having a conversation, you can email me at overcomeadversitytoday at gmail.com. Again, that's overcomeadversitytoday at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash overcomeadversity West Kawan. Uh, Instagram, Kawan Glover, K-A-W-A-N-G-L-O-V-E-R. Twitter, Kawan underscore Glover. I'm on LinkedIn, Kawan Glover. So if you want to find me, just type in my name, it'll pop up somewhere that you can get in contact with me. You feel free to DM me, message me, however you want to get in contact. Let's have a conversation about what is the ultimate victory in your life? Where do you see yourself going and what are you trying to overcome? And isn't that isn't that one of your your your, your the, um, the work that you do too as well, being a victory coach? So let's talk about that work that you do too as well. So I started a company in 2019 um, called Overcome Adversity LLC. And it's just really my core why is I had this story. I, I didn't know it was going to happen to me, but I've learned a number of things throughout this journey. And as people learn my story, read the book and know more about me, you don't have to go through the dark. You don't have to go through the muck. You don't have to trudge through the mud because I've been there. I've experienced it. And my job of victory coaching is to guide you through that. So you don't have to go do all the steps. You can skip over a couple of some because I have the experience that guides you through them. So in my coaching practice, I combine a goal-oriented approach uh, with a therapeutic twist, empathy and vulnerability that it combines the two and it allows you to feel comfortable, but also powerful in order to achieve your ultimate life victory. And see, I think what we still have to understand, this is a young man who is now 26 years of age um, and just want to be able to reach out to people and do the necessary things. And then now I have to tell y'all the story of how me and Kawan met. Here's the story. It's just this simple. I woke up one morning and God showed me Kawan Glover on my phone. I don't know how his name came up, but he said he, said he needs to be on your podcast. Me and Kawan has never talked until today. So I know God is real. So I don't, I don't, I don't take what God says to me and how he leads and directs me just vicariously because I know he's here to do and I'm here to do his will. So this is his will. This is what this podcast is about. The podcast is about free will, but under Judah, you're doing God's will. And not saying that everybody is at the place where I am right now. But the thing is, having victory over being a victim is something totally different. I'd rather have victory than be a victim. So it's just your choice. And we all have choices and we all have opinions in life. But then again, my verse, as I will always say, thy will keep you in perfect peace 
as long as your mind is stayed on him. Any closing words, Kawan? You know, I always say this when I close out my, my, my Facebook lives, and it's, it's really simple. The darkest night always comes for the brightest morning, and your morning is coming. That's it for me. That's my story, oh, wow. and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I love it. I'm Judah Bernard, and I'll prove that message. So the one thing is I want y'all <laughs> to always remember as we close right now, you're going to tell a friend, tell a foe, tell your spouse. Heck, tell everyone. The Rise Creating Your Voice will be on in just a second in about six, six, six or seven more minutes because we're coming up with Judah Moves with Tavon Fitness of Instagram, and we're going to be moving, so we need you to grab that water, grab your towel. We're going to sweat a little bit. We're going to be working on some lower parts and things like that, like your legs. I also have an interview coming up tomorrow at 12 noon with David Lord Marcus, which is a writer and a, and a, and a producer. I've been in some of his movies. It's, it's just been immaculate that how these people are just dropping in and I know God is sending them and we're connecting and doing the right thing. Also, I have another interview. We're going to be talking a little bit about politics, not saying that I'm voting, I'm voting, but I'm not uh, advocating for any particular party because I just can't do that. But I'm going to have a special guest on called Nathaniel Hartley, and he's from Allendale, South Carolina, and he is running for a civic leadership position. So I want everybody to be on tomorrow too as well. I thank you for everything that you guys have done by listening. I hope you guys was inspired. Always remember that this will be on and so you can keep listening to it and then it will drop into the podcast. Understand my podcast is free. I'm not charging any money. This is free information, free. Everything I'm doing is free. I don't need any money. This is not something that I'm trying to drive off money. I'm trying to make sure that like people like Kawan Glover can have a platform, a free platform to tell their story, to tell their journey, to tell their testimony, to continue to embrace and be positive and show love and show community. We will see you guys in a couple of more minutes. We're signing off and thank you. The Rise, creating your voice. 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 Hi, I'm Judah Bernard, the wisdom dialoguer of the Rise Creating Your Voice. Are you a registered vote? What Judah would like for you to do to make sure you cast your ballot and vote on November 3rd, 2020, and vote by all means necessary, whether it be by mail, whether it be by ballot, whether it be that you go into a poll, make sure that you cast that vote on November 3rd, 2020. We're looking forward to seeing you. Goodbye.